Blog Talk Radio. Hello, and welcome to today's episode of 219 Green Connect, where we explore topics about the environment and green living in Northwest Indiana. For past show archives, news, and upcoming events, you can check out our website at 219greenconnect.com, or you can join us on Facebook or Twitter. You can find us there. Our handle name is 219 Green Connect on both. You can also subscribe to this podcast on iTunes. I'm your host, Kathy Sipple, and today I'm speaking with Michael Green. He is the Executive Director at Climate Exchange, a Boston-based education and research nonprofit, and they're dedicated to providing policymakers and advocates with cutting-edge information on market-based solutions to climate change. The group has also developed the State Carbon Pricing Network in order to support campaigns in other states and demonstrate the benefits of strong climate legislation at the local level, thereby enabling potential action in other states and eventually nationwide. I'm sorry to say that historically Indiana has been a bit behind on climate uh, climate, uh, stuff, so we're hoping that some of these resources will be listened to by local listeners and, and everywhere, frankly. But uh, Indiana, this one's for you. So welcome, Michael. Uh, how, can, how can you tell us a little bit more about uh, climate exchange? How did you end up getting involved? Hey, Kathy. It's great to be uh, on the show and getting the opportunity to speak with your listeners. Uh, great question. So uh, I joined uh, Climate Exchange as their new executive director uh, last fall, uh, and it was actually a really smart strategic move uh, by uh, the board of the company that I was currently working for uh, as the executive director of a business association uh, that was focused on a lot of the same policies and challenges. Uh, how do we engage people on the local level and provide resources uh, to really progress uh, what we think of as smart climate policy? Uh, so it was actually through a merger of the two organizations Uh, that I became the executive director of Climate Exchange. Uh, As you said, we're a small uh, nonprofit here based in Boston. Uh, We're in downtown in the Old West Church, a 230-year-old building uh, that we are using as office space. It's quite a historic and great place to be. Sounds sounds amazing. Well, I... I'm really curious. I poked around on your website a little bit and, you know, I was just trying to get my head around what you're doing differently than other models that I'm, you know, a little bit aware of, like, you know, cap and trade or or other things like that. So can you tell us kind of how this fits into current solutions that people might be aware of? And also, I understand that this is kind of based on a successful model that came out of, was it British Columbia? Yeah, no, exactly. Uh, British Columbia was the uh, first uh, sub-national actor in North America to put a price on carbon, and we closely modeled our policy after theirs. Uh, So carbon pricing and exactly how that works, uh, it's it's close to cap-and-trade with the idea of putting a fee on carbon pollution. Uh, But unlike cap-and-trade, where you have a hard limit Uh, and then you allow the market to trade permits, uh, we just put a hard fee uh, on pollution. So essentially you pay to pollute. Uh, And then over time, that cost uh, increases. And what it works to do is it shows the market uh, that uh, carbon pollution is an externality. Uh, And then uh, the market corrects in absorbing that cost 
and trying to steer away from having to pay that cost, uh, it then re, uh, the response is a reduction in emissions. So we've closely followed what's happened in British Columbia, uh, where this was first implemented back in 2008. And the result was British Columbia actually uh, exceeding its fellow provinces in reducing their emission profile uh, over from 2008 till now. And this is actually something that's being closely followed by the Canadian government uh, that is now implementing carbon pricing nationwide. Uh, so we're working to make Massachusetts hopefully one of the first states, and we're hoping to share the expertise and the things we're learning along the way with grassroots organizers and others working on the local level across the country. That's great. And so I, I would like to talk a little bit about that effort to, to work with other states and, and some of the resources that you've got on your website. Can you tell people a little bit about you know, what they would find there, how they could engage with you to help you know, get them started in their area? Is it something that you work with at a state level or is it citywide as well? Yeah, so kind of tell you a little bit about our experience here in Massachusetts. And what we did is we had a group of, you know, it wasn't any sort of paid environmental organization or it was just a group of volunteers and concerned citizens that came together. And, and looking at our emissions profile here in, in the state, uh, we've done an amazing job. Uh, we've, because of a switch to predominantly natural gas and the various incentives we've done around renewable energy, our electricity uh, actually is no longer the majority of our emissions profile. Uh, our emissions, predominantly in Massachusetts, are coming from building heating uh, and building uh, usage, as well as transportation. Uh, and there's not an easy implemented regulation that can grasp the rest of the economy, much like uh, or, or outside of the electric sector. Uh, so when we started to look at what are the policies that could happen, uh, we quickly stumbled upon carbon pricing. And there's groups such as Citizens Climate Lobby and others that have been focused on this on the national level, uh, but nobody was really looking at it and focusing on it as a state-based policy. Uh, so the first question that we had uh, was we actually commissioned a report. What would be the economic implications of a state like Massachusetts putting a price on carbon? And, and, you know, there's a lot of concerns around, well, how does this affect the business sector? How does this make us competitive with other states? And, and we knew, you know, British Columbia has had their successes, uh, but we really wanted to know what it meant for us. So upon doing an initial report uh, modeling the socioeconomic outcomes and the various industry outcomes, we saw that this could actually be a job creator here in Massachusetts. It promotes innovation, it promotes creativity and job growth uh, in these new sectors of uh, biotech and clean tech um, that are already developing here in the greater Boston area and across the state. Uh, so this really could actually fuel those, that transition. What we decided was, what if we spent more time focusing and really starting to tease out the economic uh, benefits and finding ways that we can get that research out into the hands of more traditional environmental grassroots uh, community justice groups uh, that have the capacity and the ability to organize. That's exactly what we've done. Uh, and now we have a wide support uh, from a coalition here in Mass that is made up of labor groups, 
uh, environmental justice community, uh, your more mainstream uh, environmentalist organizations, business associations, really from quite a large array, even some conservative groups that are looking at carbon pricing as the way to solve climate change. So we want to take that information and those resources that we've made for here in Massachusetts over the last four years uh, and make them available for other places. Uh, so on uh, climate-exchange.org, uh, you can find our, our different resources, uh, whether it's uh, economic reviews or policy design uh, that we've done here in Massachusetts. And you'll also be able to see a, a part of our website that's dedicated to other states working on carbon pricing policy. Uh, we've moved the ball pretty far ahead here. Uh, and we've also seen states like Washington and Oregon, Connecticut, Rhode Island, and Vermont uh, that have also been trying to, to start to really get things rolling in their state. Uh, so we're trying to find ways to centrally uh, bring together all of the various uh, resources from different campaigns across the country and get that into the hands of states that you wouldn't expect to really be a leader on climate change policy. Uh, talking about Texas, Arkansas, Florida, uh, places where there's concerned citizens, uh, but they just don't have the ability to do the same kind of analysis and research that we had here in Massachusetts. Uh, so as we continue to grow that network, uh, we're hoping to actually play the role of, of not just educator, but also doing some of that more in-depth analytical work for various states as well. Very cool. Well, since you mentioned Texas, I've got to ask, have you ever met T. Boone Pickens? And he really is dedicated to wind power, as I was led to believe. I have not come across him, uh, but I no? can say that Texas, no, but Texas does uh, lead the nation in wind energy production. Uh, I've got a, a brother that's at Texas A&M as a college professor, uh, and he'll be the first to uh, to tell me about the wind turbines uh, that really dot the the Texas countryside. Cool, cool. Yeah, it's uh, you know I I don't know a whole lot about him, but he's an American you know businessman, and he had chaired the hedge fund uh, for BP Capital Management, and so you know not the person that you really think would be throwing up wind turbines, but you know it's probably been what 10, 12 years ago I think when he started into that. So I just thought that was very interesting. You know, Texas traditionally, as you mentioned, you know, not somebody you'd think of as gravitating toward, um, you know, something other than fossil fuels. But it's, it's hopeful, you know, when you can see that it works from a business uh, mindset, it, it, it does have some legs and hopefully we can actually move, as you said, move the ball forward in states where you wouldn't expect it. <laughs> So I know that Massachusetts actually has a Global Warming Solutions Act, and so you've got some clear-cut goals that need to be reached. I believe it's um, you've got to reduce uh, pollution, but primarily carbon dioxide, to 25% below the 1990 level by 2020. And so That's correct. you had some dramatic shifts. So th this this effort will obviously be a key way that helps you get there do you find that most of the states you just mentioned also have some pretty clear directives like that? Is that something they have in common? No, and that's, you know, that's something that Massachusetts really championed uh, when they, uh, back in, in 
uh, going into the Copenhagen climate negotiations, uh, where we set ambitious goals for 2020 and 2050 uh, to reduce our, our carbon footprint. And not only did we set goals, they actually made them legal mandates, uh, statutes within the state. Uh, so if we don't reach our 2020 goals, it actually opens up the governor and his agencies uh, to uh, 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 the judicial system in, in a legal battle. Uh, so it'll be really interesting as we work towards 2020 to see how that, ha- how that plays out. Uh, now, for other states, uh, unfortunately, with the new administration, doesn't seem to be championing the clean power plan. Uh, as, as I imagine many uh, on your show might have, have hoped and uh, probably are supporting. Uh, but it was interesting. There was a late change to the clean power plan when it was going through uh, kind of the design and regulatory process where carbon pricing was actually added as one of the mechanisms that could be used to reach uh, emission goals. Uh, what we're seeing is carbon pricing is simple. Uh, You're putting a fee on a market externality, and then the market shifts uh, to avoid that that now internalized cost. And what it doesn't mean is it doesn't mean larger, cumbersome regulation, uh, putting strenuous, onerous work onto new agencies or agencies that are already um, looking to cut back funding Uh, it's actually quite simple. And from the private sector side, uh, businesses understand it. They can plan around it. They can finance energy efficiency or other programs around it. Uh, And it's because of that simplicity and because of that uh, understanding that a lot of businesses and even conservatives supported it. Uh, And it was because of that push, a business and conservative push towards the end of the clean power plan design uh, that actually had it uh, had it uh, brought into to the the policy. So uh, what we're seeing is even though some of these states uh, might not be you know the forefront leaders you would think on climate action, uh, they have constituents, they have voters, uh, and a majority of this country now understands the risks of climate change, and they want to be see something done about it. Uh, but they want to stick to their morals and their values of you know, uh, less government is better government, efficiency of regulation, uh, and that because of that, we've seen carbon pricing pop up in places and in, in support uh, in places that you wouldn't necessarily anticipate or think about as uh, hubs of climate action. Great. Well, I think sometimes it's it's helpful for the average person to just kind of follow the money. So I think you're absolutely right that this is a lot simpler, you know, than cap and trade. You're just, you know, and it's not a tax. I've I've heard that several places that it's a fee rather than a tax, but we're going to put a fee on the carbon pollution. And then how, how does that affect consumers then? Won't that hurt them? So what we found is because the fee is rebated back to consumers and businesses, uh, an overwhelming majority actually come out ahead. Uh, Our carbon, our largest carbon emitters and carbon pollution is really actually a smaller bucket than you might assume. Uh, So what we found out, and it's actually based on policy design and some of our modeling, uh, that we want to make sure that we're not affecting 
uh, low-income households that were not overtly affecting various uh, industry sectors that are uh, intrinsic and important uh, to the economy. Uh, so it was actually based on this design where, on average, uh, folks are getting back the same rebate uh, and able to come out actually uh, a bit ahead. Um, British Columbia did a unique thing where they actually took the dividend check and sent it out first before implementing the, uh, the fee. Uh, so right from the get-go, folks got a check sent to them in the mail uh, saying, you know, here's your, your dividend up front for the, for the new carbon fee. And, and that money is then in the hands of the consumer. Sure, it can be spent on electric bills. It can be spent on many, maybe an energy efficiency program for the household or for the business. Um, but it also, you know, that's money in their hands that can be spent on anything else, other bills, uh, student loans. Uh, so that is, is really an interesting piece of our design. Um, that it then it's keeping money in the state economy as well. Uh, Massachusetts, we're a bit unique in, where we don't have any refining or extraction process here in the state. So essentially every extra dollar spent on fuel uh, is money leaving the state. Uh, so it actually adds a little bit of extra pressure then as well to keep money here in our Massachusetts economy. So these are some of the practices and things that we've learned uh, working on this campaign and designing this policy here uh, that we want to take to other states and other folks uh, that might not have the same resources. Uh, one extra thing I'll add on the Massachusetts state policy, uh, just to show kind of the level of which we've thought about this, we're also looking at giving uh, an, in, uh, an increased return to households or communities within the state that drive uh, much more uh, than the average uh, commuter within the state does. Uh, you know, we're just like uh, uh, you guys where we have, you know, some major uh, urban areas uh, and then the same, you know, rural communities uh, that are more dependent on their vehicle and don't have access to public transportation. Uh, so we don't want those communities to be adversely affected by this policy. Uh, so it's that kind of thinking that you have to include in a policy like this to make sure, as I said earlier, that it's smart climate action policy. Gotcha. Well, that's, that's fascinating. And especially getting the rebate up front. I mean, it, it seems like if you can see your cost coming down the road, it, it would be a lot more uh, likely that people might invest in solar panels or whatever they can do uh, to avoid you know, the stick later if you're given the carrot first. And, and also I understand that, at least in Massachusetts, you phased in the carbon fee gradually. Is, is that correct? So in Massachusetts, yeah, the way the, the bill um, is passed would work is that we would phase it in uh, over time, uh, starting out at $10 per ton. And, and you, know, you don't want to shock the system by all of a sudden adding in this large uh, fee without giving businesses and uh, individuals the opportunity uh, to start to adjust. Uh, so we look at a gradual increase over time uh, that we then can, after, uh, after several years, stop, pause, look at the relationship between the fee and our emissions, make sure that we're reaching our goals and that there's nothing we need to change, uh, and then or, you know, make the proper changes uh, to reach our intended uh, Global Warming Solutions Act mandates. 
so, so yeah, that's kind of the, the approach uh, over time. It's actually interesting. I, I got to talk a bit about this uh, bill with uh, Todd Young, who is the new uh, congressman, freshman congressman from Indiana, uh, with his office a, a few weeks ago down in D.C. Uh, and it was it's interesting to see, you know, that this is a policy that can be tinkered with and created and customized to meet the needs of a state like Massachusetts, um, but also very much so for uh, a state that is, you know, quite economically uh, different in in design uh, as well as industry makeup um, as Indiana. Um, So it's, we need to start looking at policies uh, that can really move the needle on our emissions, uh, looking at what scientists and what uh, groups like the IPCC and even uh, different agencies under the Obama administration have warned us of, uh, our window for reducing our carbon footprint is rapidly closing. And this isn't something that we're going to see the challenges and the outcomes in hundreds of years. Uh, we're already seeing them. Uh, so we look at this as a kind of a policy that we can ramp up over time uh, or, you know, even dial it back as needed. Uh, but really, it, it's something that will start to drive action, industry development, uh, the creation of new technologies uh, and, and job growth uh, all around also addressing our, our emissions. Very cool. And you and I did not have a chance to talk about this question in advance. I hope this doesn't throw us, but I'm curious how renewable energy certificates fit into this this model, if if there is a place for that or if, if that's like cheating. <laughs> like I know our, our local energy provider, um, they basically offer uh, renewable energy certificates so that people can get their energy through renewable sources, though they are not the direct provider. I think they did that mm-hmm. to kind of take pressure off of, you know, the local power grid. Um, right. Just, just curious if you can comment on that at all. No, sure. So uh, here in Massachusetts, our electric sector is covered under a greenhouse gas uh, emissions trading initiative called REGI. Uh, it's actually done across the New England states, uh, or Northeast states, excuse me. Uh, and, you know, because we have a regional grid, uh, we found that it would be very, very difficult to include the electric sector into uh, the carbon pricing proposal. So we actually leave the electric sector out uh, also because it's covered under this uh, this trading scheme, uh, we wouldn't want to be hitting the same industry twice for, for a carbon fee. Uh, so we have left it out. Um, but if there is uh, if there are states out there that are interested in modeling uh, in having some kind of a uh, some kind of um, um, other market mechanisms added in, whether it's uh, emission um, credits or something, uh, it, it can be done. Uh, the larger question that I have then for people is how do we validate uh, the emissions credits and where are, are they coming from? Um, you know, you can buy very, very cheap Texas wind credits uh, on an open market, uh, and therefore, a turbine that was developed, you know, uh, 
10 to 20 years ago. Uh, so, you know, that's to me just adding to someone's bottom or someone's, you know, adding to someone's pocketbook uh, versus other carbon credits and schemes out there that are driving industry, driving renewable growth. Uh, so I would be really interested in making sure that we make that we we measure the emissions reduction that are coming from these credits and making sure that it works. If you can't tell from my voice, I'm a, I'm a bit of a skeptic of some of these. It's been done really well in some places, uh, but it's also been done really wrong in, in some places. Yeah, well, I, I appreciate you know you being candid about it, and I mm-hmm. I don't know, I don't have all the answers. I certainly feel like it's better than you know same old same old potentially if if some of the burden is shifted to renewables, but it it does lack a lot of the things that you said, like the innovation and building you know renewable infrastructure in your own state if you're just importing renewables from Texas. Mm-hmm. But I appreciate that, and again, we we didn't reverse mm-hmm. that. Thanks for <laughs> stepping up. And I know also I want to have a little bit of time here at the end to let you talk about kind of a fun raffle that you've got going on. Can yeah. you say anything about that? Yeah, no, sure. Thanks so much uh, for bringing that up. And, uh, you know, we're a, we're a small grassroots group here in Boston uh, that has really come together to drive action and change that we believe in. Uh, and at the end of the day, uh, we also need to keep the lights on here. Uh, so uh, rather than spending all of uh, my time out schmoozing funders uh, and writing grant proposals and uh, kind of doing that sort of work, we decided, well, what if we did uh, a crazy idea and raffled off a brand new 2017 Model X Tesla? And we, we did the raffle two years ago, uh, and it was to a great success. And it was actually ticket buyers from the last raffle that said, hey, guys, when are you going to do this again? Uh, so this year, uh, it, uh, the raffle will be on July 4th, 2017. Uh, you can go on carbonraffle.org and buy your ticket. All the proceeds will go to our work on helping put a price on carbon in Massachusetts and supporting other states across the country that are looking to do the same. Uh, And you stand a chance to win not just a Model X or S of your choice uh, this year, but we're also going to cover the the gift taxes on it, which is about $30,000. And for second through sixth place, this is including spots in line for the new upcoming Tesla Model 3 uh, and some great cash prizes as well. So carbonraffle.org, we'd love for folks to go on and and support us putting a price on carbon. It's a beautiful-looking vehicle, I've got to tell (laughs) you. I've got the pleasure of riding around in it. Uh, Yeah, they certainly are uh, fascinating, and it's really when you get in that vehicle, you realize, oh, wow, this is where we're going. Uh, and it's really exciting feeling. Yeah, and the ticket price, not bad, $250. Is that that's correct? $250 a ticket. We're only selling 2,500 of them. Uh, so you have uh, much better odds of winning this uh, than a lot of other things, the raffles and lotteries that are out there. Uh, and, um, yeah, we're, we're excited about it. The, 
the car, including taxes, uh, is around $160,000, $170,000. Uh, so at $250 a raffle ticket, we think that's pretty exciting and pretty uh, uh, pretty fair and happy to share with, with your community. Very cool. I, I love it. It's kind of like crowdfunding, but in a, a super sexy, environmentally conscious way. <laughs> <laughs> Thank you. That's what we feel as well. Yeah, very, very innovative. So, well, I, I really appreciate you being with us today and sharing your, you know, models for innovation and providing encouragement and resources for other states that want to kind of catch up to where uh, Massachusetts is and where British Columbia has already even been leading the way. That's well, thank you so much, Kathy. Yeah, well, thank you. And again, if you're just uh, hearing us here at the end, I am Kathy Sipple, host of 219 Green Connect, and my guest today has been Michael Green. He's Executive Director at Climate Exchange in Boston, and you can find out more about them by visiting climate-exchange, that's xchange.org, and you can find out how to get a ticket for the Tesla. There's a link right there. Listen to the show in its entirety and share the show link at 219greenconnect.com. Click on podcast, or you can go straight to iTunes. While you're there, give us a like, give us a, a good review that really helps us be found by other listeners, and check out the other 70-something episodes we've got that will give you ideas about how you can make change in your own local environment. Thanks again, Michael, and that's, that's it for today.